Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Welcome, everybody. Here we are at Living Chassidus, and we are doing this as part of our systematic Avoid initiative. So, Kolakavod to everyone who's done your reading. I'm sure you've been enjoying it and learning so much about the entire month of Kislev. And usually, Living Chassidus has only a Hanukkah party. And this year, we have the great schos of having not just a Hanukkah party, but also a Ferengin with Mr. Robert Kremneiser. He is joining us here from Sydney, Australia, which is the beauty of Zoom. And as many of you know, he is one of my favorite authors, and we've actually given out a few of his books. We've even done a course based on one of his books. So just to mention it for everybody, we have The Lawyer and the Mystic. It's absolutely, all of them. I absolutely love all of them. So please go out and get them. Hey, Tavis is coming, a good time. We actually gave out in our last Systematic Avaita initiative, we gave out Conversations with Zadie. Great, great book. And Australian Encounters just recently came out. So if you haven't gotten that one yet, go out and check out check it out for Hey, Tavis. And the books that we did, of course, based off of them, with Sparks of Tanya. I know he has other books, but these are my absolute favorite. And we just started Tanya brand new. So now is a good time to get one of these and read a chapter of, he does such a beautiful job at summarizing each chapter with really practical living as, which is the flavor of living chassidus. So living and how to live with the message of the Tanya in that chapter. So thank you so much. Mr. Kremneiser, we're so, so lucky to have you, and I'll pass on the, the mic to you. So we're going to bring together about Hanukkah a little bit. And, uh, you know, there are many, there are few usual pathways through a Fabringen on Hanukkah. And I was in two minds to choose in which to go because really the, the whole essence of understanding Hanukkah is deeply politically incorrect. And, you know, we can tiptoe around it or we can learn it properly. And I think despite the risk that this is being recorded and may go into the wrong hands, nevertheless. I thought about it carefully and I, and I really don't see any reason why we should do anything contrary to the river's will, which was no compromise, take no prisoners. So we're not going to take any prisoners. We're not going to compromise. Now, before we start, let's understand Klal. Jewish Yontif is not like a secular holiday like uh, Labor Day or uh, whatever you have in America, we have a series of public holidays where that holiday is a day which by popular agreement is labeled that holiday and everybody observes it for the holiday's purpose. That's not what a Jewish yontif is. A Jewish yontif celebrates a spiritual vigor. There's a, 
there is a particular spiritual energy that exists at a particular time and place. And the light of that energy shines brightest when that yontif comes around year after year. So Pesach, it's an Indian of Betokhan. Tishrei, it's an Indian of Tshuva and Simch. Hanukkah is an Indian which I'm going to try and describe. I know that I'm talking to an educated oilom here, and therefore a lot of what I say to you hopefully will be familiar. But there is a Baal Shem Tov that's very humbling. It says that if you, if I'm repeating myself to you, or if I'm saying something that you already know, then both of us don't know the subject well enough. I haven't taught it properly and you haven't listened to it properly. So if I'm going to repeat stuff you already know, it's good for both of us. But the energy that shines brightest on Hanukkah, and I'm not going to waste time with telling the story. I, everybody in this, in this group knows the Hanukkah story backwards. The energy that we are focusing on, and by the way, this energy that exists on every Jewish yontif is available as Hesoyerus, as a, as a injection to, for that to be strengthened at the time of the yontif and then for the whole of the year. So the issue is what is the specific spiritual energy of Hanukkah? And politically incorrect or not, it is about the fundamental difference between a Jew and an old Jew. That's what Hanukkah is about. And it's a difficult top topic to discuss without being clumsy. And it's a difficult topic to discuss for reasons that a lot of deeply pious Jews have got this very wrong. And, you know, there are a lot of people who take refuge. If they, let's say they suppose that they are, are prepared to identify as Jews at all. Those people who are prepared to identify as Jews and do make the terrible mistake of assuming that we're better than non-Jews. Now, if I can do anything in this Fabrigan today, what I'd love to achieve is the river's perspective on our difference or, or the Chabad's perspective on our difference. And it's very easy to go wrong because the language is misleading because the Rebbein are talking to people who, who they're assuming are not making the mistake that some people do make. And the mistake is to walk around and your chest pushed up and say, I think you're, you're a better human being than a non-Jew. And there's nothing in our Nigla or our Hasidus to justify that. There are areas where you can go wrong because chapter two Tanya says that there is no good in the Goyim, no good at all, no good whatsoever, I think the word is. And if you learn that without a teacher, 
without somebody who's experienced in, in the sitters. It's very easy to go wrong and think, well, they're bad and we're good. That's not what that means. What that, that that's not a suggestion that, that don't have a high social responsibility or that they they can't be morally business or that they can't take their responsibilities to being a good person seriously. What it means, it's a technical word. Toed is a technical term. In Pasha's Mauritius, whenever Hashem is creating something he, and he says that Hashem saw that it was good, that is code for infused with revealed godliness. And we learn that as a matter of Kabbalah, as a matter of Hasidus, and that's why the Altarim says what he says. But it doesn't mean that God has created seven and a half billion nefoshuis on this planet and doesn't give a damn about If you think that, it's just stupid and it's unnecessary. But at the same time, if you don't understand the difference between Jews and non-Jews, you have no conception of understanding what Hanukkah is. Because Hanukkah is the celebration of our difference. So with this, let's start with this difficult pathway. Now, let's jump straight into it because, I mean, there are many other things that we can learn together. We can learn about Tikkun and we can learn about our one Gilgul can be a Tikkun for another Gilgul. These are all deep and interesting subjects. But at the moment, depending on the time, I'd like to keep the focus on Jews and non-Jews. So let's start at the point. I, I, I want to make the point to you like this. Certainly, Jews are different to non-Jews. That is a matter of Torah. So it's not a matter of political correctness. We live in an age where everybody's screaming that everybody else should be the same. They want men and women to be the same. There to be no two genders. The world's gone mad with this stuff. Now, is it morally good that everybody should be given equal opportunity. So is it morally right that nobody should be persecuted by any other group? Certainly. But to suggest that there is no difference between human beings is just blindness. For example, to suggest that there's no difference between men and women is just mad. It's absolutely contrary to every person's common sense and intelligence. Does it mean men are better than women? Has for sure. Does it mean women are better than men? Has for sure. But does it mean that they're the same? Are you kidding me? Visually, are they the same? In emotionally, are they the same? Any claim that spiritually are they same. You may be surprised to know, ladies, and I'm not saying this because this is a ladies for bringing, but Habak Hasidus holds women to be spiritually superior to men. So not only are they not the same, they're spiritually superior. How do we know? God tells Avram, listen to Sarah. Very simple. When the Torah talks about Havel, it talks about an Eze Kenegdoi. What does that mean? A person who helps and help a, 
opposite you. Rashi says, what does it mean in Asa Kinegdo? If you're doing the right thing, she's at hell. If you're doing the wrong thing, she'll be against you. Is this a person who's superior or inferior to, to Odomarishi? But to say that women and men are the same, you've got to be blind. Now, to say that a Jew and a non-Jew are the same, you've got to be blind. Is it the same? Are we a different race like the Nazis said? As for Shalom, that's nonsense. How do you know that's nonsense? Because what about converts? Are they our race? Where is the difference? The difference is everybody in this Fabrigan must know this from Tanya. We learn that we have a second level to ourselves. Everybody has a nefesh. We have a neshama. The neshama is a helikiloika mimal. What does it mean, helikiloika mimal? It means that we share a common consciousness with godliness. Do you think that makes us better in inverted commas? We'll see. Now, let me ask you a question. Is a hand better than a foot? You've got two hands and two feet, everyone in this fabric. Look at your hands, look at your feet mentally and decide which are better. Is that a nonsensical question? Your hand, you don't regard your hand as better than your foot and you don't regard your foot as better than your hand. But what you do say is that your hand has a different job to do than your foot has. And could your foot do your hand's job? Yes. Under certain circumstances, do people have all got their hands? Does that mean that your foot isn't a better, a better thing to walk with? Of course it is. The whole Hanukkah miracle story is about the oil. And we're going to understand what that oil means in terms of your life. So back to the distinction between Jews and non-Jews, we are talking about a difference in structure and for a difference in creation. We have an extra order the Shema. Everything has a nefesh. But only humanity has a soul, but we have an extra level to our soul. And that d distinguishes a Jew from a non-Jew. Now, why do we have that? That is a statement of responsibility. In Har Sinai, we were charged with a mission. We have to bring the Gatshmias and elevate Gatshmias in the Rumpias. That is the job of the Jew. The job of a Gentile is to build Gashmias and, and they've done a wonderful job. You look around you, there's music and drama and, and technology, but a Jew's job is different than that. A Jew's job is to Rukhnias into Gashmias in terms of one's perspectives, which we'll come to in a moment. Overlap is wrong because although there are Jews who that the reality is that that difference is here. And that's what Hanukkah is about. Hanukkah is about that with a real understanding of what your difference is, you will then approach your life and I will then approach my life with a different set of levels. We're at the point where we were discussing the difference between Jews and non-Jews and we, we got to the point where the job of 
a Gentile or the Gentiles is to build Gashmis, work with Gashmis and build Gashmis. And our part is to infuse that Gashmis with Rukhis and to elevate that Gashmis into Rukhis. Now, that's the mission we were given on house. You know, I, and the Gentiles have done their job beautifully. They build a wonderful world and we're doing our job beautifully. And the proof is that we're going to have Mashiach any minute, which is the prize of doing our mission, because that is how we make it. How can you be expected to live? Let's go back a step. We live 60, 70, 120 years without the Shomer in this group. And you want to have a happy life. We forbringed about that together earlier. But in order to have a life that's happy and meaningful, you need to know what your life purpose is. The very sad fact is that most Jews, without the benefit of Kabbalah Hasidus, haven't got a clue. We're not born with a manual. When you when you come out of your mother's womb, nobody says to you, here's your instructions on how to live. You've got to kind of figure it out as you go along. Most of us bumble along and, and hit into, in, in, into, bump into doors and bark our shins on every time we make a mistake. And that's, that's understandable. That's part of life. But unless you've got a big picture of where you're going, and unless you're able to harness a focus on that big picture of where you, life slips away. You know, I'm a lawyer, a rich practitioner with rich clients who are by and large, to a large extent, Jewish. And the saddest thing for me in my office is when I see people who've lost their way and not only lost their way, but they're standing at the edge of their grave. Some of them are 80, 90 years of age, rich. They've, they've achieved everything that they thought that they needed to achieve to be happy and, and have a good life. And they're standing there at the end of their life. They got nothing in their hands. Their children are married out. Their children are on drugs. They've got their third wife and second girlfriend. And. Does the Bentley help? Doesn't. Why not? Because that's not our narcos. It's kind of not fair that if a Jew doesn't understand what his narcos, what chance has he got to get it? And the key to all of this lies in understanding this difference between Gentiles and Jews. And I keep saying it until the message gets out. It's not that one is better than the other. It's that one has a different job to do. And if you try to do somebody else's job, it doesn't work. It works partially. It certainly works partially. A Jew has to be involved in Gashmist in order to elevate. So let's understand this dynamic. You can't go and sit on a mountain and smoke something with your legs crossed and look at the, at the sunset and feel terrific and hope that that's going to give you a meaningful life because you're achieving nothing. You're helping nobody. You're elevating nothing. 
it may be that for some people who are not Jews, that will give them a degree of satisfaction. And it, it will be for Gentiles that, that money and power and popularity and acceptance and respect, covet, all of these things will give them some degree of levels of nafis. And it will give us some level of nafis as well, but it's not enough. For a Jew, it's simply not enough. Why? Because you've got a starving neshama there. The nefesh is being fed, but your neshama is not being fed. That part of your neshama, which is a helical karmimol, is not being fed. It's starving. And if it's starving, you, you're not going to feel a real sense of nakas and happiness. Now, is that why a Jew should behave like a Jew? No, because a Jew has a responsibility to behave like a Jew because he's told to by Hashem. So out of, out of Kabbalah soil, out of a level of obedience, out of, uh, uh, we, we do, we, we, if you learn how, then you can't, then you do as you're told. And Jews, when they know what they're supposed to be doing, will do so with mysterious effort but they have to know what it is. And if you and I know what it is, you've got to have a focus on what it is. That's what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is there to create and then sharpen that focus. Now, the Gemara asks my Hanukkah, what's Hanukkah? And it, um, it, it goes through the two, there are two things that happen in Hanukkah. And let me tell you, I would love it if today I could just get you for a moment to glimpse this for yourself, that part of your life is always going to be gushmias, and part of your life is going to be infusing that gushmias with brookmias. And it's, it's a wonderful dynamic, and you need to learn to focus on. We just had uh, two, two sedras ago, we have a, we have a fascinating piece of Casillas from our river that Avram had his name changed by Hashem to Avraham and Sarai to Sorrow. And we are forbidden for using the previous name. Yaakov, when he finished wrestling with the Malak, his name is changed to Yisrael. And the, the Torah continues to use Yaakov and, and Yisrael interchange. And the river explains that Yaakov is you and me functioning Bagashmias. In other words, going to work, doing the dishes, doing the cooking, doing the cleaning, feeding your children. In my case, going to work, putting out the garbage, paying the mortgage. That's all Yaakov. What's Yisrael? Yisrael is when I'm standing under the hooker with one of my daughters and she's about to be married. That's Yisrael. Or when I'm risking my, I'm the Sunday for my grandson and he's sitting on my lap and the, the moil comes at us with his knife <laughs> and the, the, my poor grandson doesn't know enough to be terrified. 
but you're sitting there and you've got that child on your lap and you are about to introduce another Jew into creation. You're about to introduce another Jew and your heart is overflowing with nafas. That's Israel. Now you and I function at those two levels. And it's a great secret of Torah that Yaakov, by the way, when he finally goes to Mitzrayim, and the Torah has this puzzling verse, which you all know from Ayoyim, that the little Rebbe to be asks the question, how can it possibly be that that was, when the, when the Tzimach Tzedek asked the elder Rebbe, he says, how can it possibly be that the last 17 years of his life were the best years of his life? But the mathematicians have all gone to work and they've calculated that 17 out of 100 and whatever it is that Yaakov lived, that's about the time that you and I spend in our Yisrael mode and not in our Yaakov mode. And you, you have to understand that because if you don't understand that and you think that your, your spiritual nakas is going to come from a new car, you don't get it when you're disappointed. You don't understand why, why are they, why don't I have, when the new car arrives, it's it smells lovely and it's brand new and it's a, or a new dress or with it or new piece of jewelry. I, you know, I'm not so good at this stuff with the women stuff, but uh, I see it with all my daughters and my wife and they get so excited about the new dress. Okay. I understand. But how long does the excitement for the new dress last? Why? Because you're tuned with your purpose. What's your purpose? To be a Jew. What does it mean to be a Jew? It means to function in terms of your neshama, which is a heligolokamimo, which means that you, your focus is on your spiritual function as well as your physical function. Is it instead of? Absolutely not. We're forbidden to sit and learn all day and, and daven all day from morning till night without doing it. Got to do mitzvahs. Man's got to put on film. You've got to light Shabbos candles. You've got to cook for your family. I've got to bring home the money. You've got to bring home the money. We've got to get tzedakah from the money that we bring home. We have to be part of the world to elevate it. But the, the, the focus has to be on the elevation. So I was beginning to say before, who don't know how to fight, who don't know how, most Yishinu Bokrim don't know how to do much, let alone fight. They overcame the mighty Greek army. So that is a Gavaldica miracle. And what's the second miracle? That the one cruise of oil lasted eight days instead of uh, one day. So the Gemara says, which is the bigger miracle? And there's no, and there's a bit of a to and fro, there's a bit of shackle the tarrier about it, but the bottom line is very quickly arrived at, but it's the oil. Now, why is it the oil? And why isn't it the miracle of, of winning the war? Because the miracle of the winning of the war is a miracle of Gashmias. And you're, that's not our focus. Your and my focus is on our Ruchias. So the oil, which is the symbol of light, which is the symbol of Rukhnius, which is the symbol of what we are tuned into, that's the miracle for us. And if you look at the, the wording, when, when you, when we daven Shmoin Esrei through, through the eight days of Hanukkah, 
And we talk about the miracle. Who is mentioned? Matthias Yahu is mentioned. The Kohen Godel. Why is it that the Kohen Godel is mentioned and not the general of the army or, or the head of the fighters? Because at the end of the day, you and I need to identify with the fact that we are Jews and Jews live differently to non-Jews. Now I'm going to explain this at a deeper level and I may lose some of you. And if I do be patient, I'm only going to take five minutes, but for those who do understand, uh, it's critical that you do understand it's deep and it's difficult. Some of you may know this well already. We learn like this. How do I explain? Let me take an example. But the horoscope, you know, there's a, a horoscope and in the women's magazines, there will be the weekly or monthly lady who will tell you what's going to happen to you. And that's true for 400 million Americans, or whatever it is. And it's a kind of joke for people of intelligence. You should know that's wrong. It's not a joke. That magazine article is a joke, but if you think that the horoscope doesn't work, you're wrong. It does work. And the, the factors for it working when you were born, where, where the planets were, were, were in the, in the planetary system at the moment you were born, the, the time that you were in your mother's womb where the levels of gravity from various planetary systems, they all, they are all influences and you should know it does work. And for Goyim who, for Gentiles who, when I use the word Goyim, I don't mean that in any way critically, I mean it as a, as a, as a word, which is different. That when Gentiles study the horoscope, if somebody has the skills and the knowledge and the horoscope, they will come very close to getting it right. And there's a predictive value. There's no question, not predictive in the sense that I'm talking about predictive zone, descriptive value. It will describe personalities and, and will enable somebody with this sort of personality, not to expect this sort of result, but that sort of result. But there's a very important rider that is only true for Gentiles. We are taught that the horoscope is absolutely irrelevant to a Jew and a Jew's destiny. Why? Because, and this is the part that is a bit more difficult and I, I won't spend too long on it, but Gentiles are plugged in. They have a relationship with God. Don't think they don't have a relationship with God. They have a relationship with God. They're God's children. God made seven and a half billion Lefoshois on our planet at the moment. You think he doesn't give a damn about them? But they, their relationship with Hashem is a relationship with Shemelu Kim. Shemelu Kim is that aspect of God, which is nature. Ativa and Elikim are the same gematria for those that know. So in terms of what is natural, Gentiles have an absolute connection with Hashem and function at a natural level. So if a Gentile needs to make money, 
in our generation, he should go to university, study hard, get a ticket, go to school, blah, 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 and he will make money. He will make a certain amount of money, but even though money is a broker, it's one of the three brokers. I think we might have even dealt with it in the last February. I can't remember which February it's which for me. I do a lot of teaching, but I think we did catch up this last time. So for a Jew, that, that's not the way to make money. For, for a Jew, you have to open the pipe for your broker for Panosa. How do you do that? By letting into it doing this. Ah, do you have to make a Kaylee? Certainly you have to make a Kaylee. What does that mean? You have to make a Kaylee in Yashmir's. So if it means that you've got to go and study, you've got to go and study to make the vessel. But the studying is not going to cause the panosa because you're a Jew. And a Jew is not connected to Shem Elikim alone. He is connected to Shem Yudkevov. If I make it really hard and I won't stay here for those that will get bored, the nations, the world, the, the Goyim, the Gentiles, Deal with Mimale Kolal, the light of Mimale Kolal. Jews deal with the light of Soivin Kolal. And if you don't get that, then it's heartbreaking, but it's not surprising that you're going to spend your life exasperated and frustrated when things aren't going right because you don't get it. Now, does that mean you don't want money? Of course not. Because money makes life easier. But gosh, it's not going to make your life any better. Baruch is. Do you need your life to be good? But of course you do. That's why we dub it every day. That's why whenever the river gave a broker, he would say Baruch or Baruch He never left out gosh, It's only better that we don't get involved in gosh, it's a matter of understanding that it's not enough. For a Jew, it's not enough. You may be surprised to know that the oil for the menorah in the base of Mikdosh did not have to be first quality olive oil. What the Yidden could have done when they took back the base of Mikdosh after it had been defiled, they could have got out and got any old oil. It would have worked. It's kosher, but it's not Mahadra. It's not the best way. You know, I can tell you, you can shake hands with a Jew who up until now has kept some level of kashras. Or I better keep the whole stroll or ride. They, they don't wait the whole six hours between the they have fish and meat on the same table. They use fish and meat on the same plate. It's not strictly speaking. It's only been rabbonin, they'll tell you. Maybe they'll even have milk after chicken because chicken's not meat theoretically. So therefore, since it's only been rabbonin, but uh, they keep some level of kashras. But that's not enough because for a Jew, the quality, it's your life. What sort of a life do you want? A, a bit of a life. Or do you want a really great life, a really wonderful life where you get up in the morning looking forward to the day, where you kiss God good night when you go to sleep at night, thank him for what he's doing and mean it. 
that's a life. Yeah. So that's a life where the Toynus is being a Jew without compromise, without watering it down, without, without spoiling it. So they could have used any oil, but did they want to use any oil? They wanted to use the best, the oil that had the Quen Goddard's picture on. Now let me tell you another thing. Those, the, the lamps on the top of the menorah in the Basin Mikdash were big, they're large. So the, understand this, the wick was large. The wick was a piece of fabric and a large piece of fabric. Now, I don't know if you know, but one of the wondrous things about olive oil burning with a wick is that on its own, the olive oil won't burn. You try, you take a bottle of olive oil, put it in some kind of gaily and put a torch on it, put a flame on it, put a blowtorch on it, and it will not ignite. It's only when the, when the wick is engorged with the oil, the wick doesn't burn and the oil does burn. If you don't have any oil in it and you take the wick and you put a flame under it, it'll burn up in one second. When you put a flame on the olive oil, it will not burn. Put them together and the oil, which wouldn't burn before now burns through the wick and the wick, which would have burned before, I've got a flashy. Is that a bad thing? Still right? Okay. And the wick that was, and the wick that burned itself up in an instant before doesn't burn away. It burnt, it lasts as long as the olive oil engorged on. So let me tell you what else they could have done. They clever people. They came back in the base of Middash and they saw that there weren't, there wasn't enough oil for, for eight days. So what they could have done is they could have cut the wick into eight strands, right? Because the thicker the wick, the more quickly the oil is, it, the more oil is engorged in it and the longer it burns. Why didn't they do that? And that would have lasted eight days. They didn't do that either. They didn't touch the wick. They didn't touch the cruise of oil. And they just had the token in Hashem that if they live like Jews, they're going to have a different sort. And what was the answer? The answer was yes. The answer was, that's what I'm telling you to do, says God. Live like Jews and I will look after you. I'll look after the rest. It's easy to go wrong here. It's easy to say, because second part of the Shema, you know, says that if you are a good girl and now I'm a good boy and we do what we're supposed to do, we'll have a rain in our prophecies and then everything will be all right. We're going to know that. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. But sadly, you and I both know that's not true. It's a shocking fact, but it's not true. And you know very well that you and I are going to be tested mercilessly every day because we have been in our life until now. And everyone we know is, we just had Cedrus about Yaakov and Yosef. Now I want to ask you, you and I, we're as good. Good as Yaakov and Yosef? We're not. You agree? Okay. Let's look at Yaakov's life. 
Yakov's life was a bagashmi. It's a terrible life. He's hunted out of his home by his twin brother who wants to kill him. He goes and lives with his father-in-law, who's a mafioso boss. He cheats him and lies to him and, and steals from him, gives him the wrong wife, changes his wages 50 times. He lives in a place called Horon, which is the absolute piece of filth of the world. And he emerges from there, rich, married, with children, and goes to his Eretz Yisrael. That is the dynamic of a Jew, brother. That's, that's why Yaakov is, a, is one of the obvious and Misa obvious similar body. I don't know if I'm loading you guys up with too much, but just stay with this for a minute. What about Yosef? What a life Yosef had. Nine years old, his mother dies. 17 years old, his brothers want to kill him. They're real tzaddikim and instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit. And then what do they do? They sell him to, to, as a slave. He, become, he comes to Mitzrayim and, and then goes to work for Potiphar, who's the, the, the boss of the meat. He's got the monopoly of the meat for Mitzrayim and he becomes the head of his household. And finally, he thinks God's been good. Okay, he took away my mother. Okay, he threw me in a pit. Okay, I'll be this later. But now I hear at least I have with my mother and, I, and what happens? For five years. His wife, who, by the way, the Gemara says is one of the five most beautiful women in history. She's throwing herself at you day and night. You know, when you read it in the Kumbish, it doesn't sound like it. Go to the, go to the Midrash. Five years she was trying to get sick. And five years he resisted. And then finally, what's his reward for his virtue? He gets thrown into, into an Egyptian jail. What's an Egyptian jail? It's not like jails in, in Sydney, Australia, where they have colored television and their own private computer and exercise. Yeah. It was a place of disease and, and torture and misery and death. In jail, does he think, is there a God? Should I feel sorry for myself? Just in last week, Sidri, Pashas Vayeshit, says, Madua Paneim Royim Hayuim, says to the butler. Why are your faces so miserable? Rebass, how can he ask that question? He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He thinks about somebody else. And not only does he think about somebody else, he doesn't get it that their faces are miserable. Why shouldn't he get it that they Is he yet at a fabrican? They're in a jail. They're in a, an Egyptian jail. What's the answer to this? How is it that on the one hand, I'm telling you, that our life is the life of a Jew. If you tune into being a Jew, you're going to have nakas and you're going to have spiritual reward. You're going to have a life of purpose and meaning. And at the same time, you look around you and you know that life's really tough. So that's exactly the point. It's exactly the point that your life and my life is not as tough as the others. Life, life's really But it's going to be tough. Why? Because your contribution as a Jew is to make it near the Tuktori, is to elevate Gashmis. And in order to do that, you're going to be tested day and night, and I'm going to be tested day and night. However, if Hashem is not an abuser, 
then obviously if you're being tested, he has given you the tools to manage that test. He's given you the koya and the koikas to deal with every nisoyan that he puts in front of you. Bayashgatha projects. And every Gashmir's problem is going to be there, like it was for the Ogoids. Do we understand why? That's another fabric. But the reality is it's going to happen to us, the Gashmirs. How can you minimize that, those tests? You can doubt it. You can seek to make your life easier as much as possible to avoid pain and maximize pleasure. They're all good things. But if you lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, you have to be a yid and connect to your God in the name UK Vodka and not expect your salvation to come physically and not expect your salvation to come the way Gentile salvation comes, then you're not going to ever get it. And one of the marvels of the miracle was that the, the little band of Jews in the base of Mikdosh with the one cruise of oil took that cruise of oil and said, look, either there's a God or there is, if there is a God and he is conducting everything by Ashkova produce, he's conducting everything by Ashkova. And he tells us to write the, the, the menorah and he tells us to do it in the best way possible. Best way possible is with the coin bottles oil. And with the coin bottles oil and the wick that is the standard wick, that's what we're going to do. And, and then over to you. If that's your mindset, then Hanukkah is, is, is having its effect on. And when you light the candles or your husband lights the candles or however, whatever your uh, system is in with your menorah and you see that flame increasing night after night, which is the light increasing one more and more and more, you should be trying to focus on the fact that you should be increasing your concentration on the fact that your nachas comes to you Baruchnis, not the Gashmis. When the Gemara says, what was the sin of the yin in the time of Basel? But Basel, they had hoid from the gates. Now, everybody knows there are 10 spheres, three intellectual, seven emotional. One of those is hoid. Hoid means, but I had to, I had to kind of translate for it in English, uh, I suppose I. It was uh, majesty, impression. Imagine you saw the Opera House in Sydney for the first time. It's wonderful. You gasp. You see the, I don't know, the Empire State Building. First time I saw the Empire State Building, I couldn't believe how big it was. And you see, uh, you see something bagashness, and you and you you gasp at it. But that's not what we have to have coined for. We have coined for the Lubavitcher River. Building, beautiful. Am I saying it's not beautiful? Of course not. But it's Gashmir's. At the end of the day, the Goyim can do that. And do do it. And do it beautifully. But that's not where your and my coined lies. Your and my coined lies at marveling at, at this walking piece of demonstrable spirituality.
just bringing goodness wherever he goes, elevating everything that's around him. We used to go to the river, you'd stand in front of the river for dollars. And the, how long was it? Three seconds, five seconds. I'm not talking about you kids. I'm talking about when we went for dollars. And you walked away 50% taller, 50% stronger, 50% better. That's what we have called for. Now, finally, I just want to make one very difficult takeaway for you guys. If, if you can think about this yourselves, I promise you it will change your life. And that is this. Let's go back to Yosef and Yaakov's life. How difficult. Why didn't they crack? Why don't we learn that they had a nervous breakdown? Why don't we learn that, you know, if a guy's mother dies at nine, his brothers beat him up all his life, sell him into slavery, find, and he goes and resists Potiphar's wife. He's a bachelor. He's resisting her for five years. And then finally, what's his reward? Jail, disease. They want to kill him in jail. Why doesn't he have a nervous breakdown? Why doesn't he buckle under pressure? So let me share with you the most difficult and most meaningful perspective that Hanukkah actually should be bringing out every time you light one of those candles. And that is that we've learned together before that you and I have no control over Hashkoka prices. We have control on how we react to that. Now, why didn't Yosef have a nervous break? Why didn't Yaakov crack and go to bed and suffer from depression or anxiety? And I'm not criticizing anyone who does. Don't think this is a criticism that they don't have enough to talk in. But the, the reason they didn't is that when they were served up with one of these chillingly difficult tasks, instead of viewing themselves as being a victim of that task, they saw themselves as Hashem Shlia to take that piece of gashmis and elevate it into rules. Understand what I'm saying? Instead of you being the victim of what happens to you, you don't have enough money, you're too fat, too skinny, you're too tall, your teeth are wrong, your ears are wrong, Instead of being a victim of Hashem's Hashkoth approaches and feeling slightly uncomfortable and disloyal to the fact that you're feeling dissatisfied, if you can change that perspective to understand that you are being given this on a plate with a knife and fork, and you're being asked by Hashem to take this and work with it and elevate it and make it better and change it, and you do that because you have a neshama, which is a halagelo kami mal, and you're empowered to do that. Hashem's never going to give you a job that you could. Yosef could do all the jobs he was given. That's why he didn't crack. Yaakov did all the jobs that he was given. That's why he didn't crack. But their mindset was that they were given those jobs in order to elevate those jobs in their role as Hashem Shlia in Gashmit. Now, why is a Jew different to a non-Jew? 
because we are shlokim with that gashmis that the, that the non-Jews are working with. Does that mean there's something wrong with the non-Jews? That's for sure. And Hanukkah is the yontif, our excellence, where this energy is available for you and me to re-drink from. And to, to go away and spend that eight days of Hanukkah living this miracle that we are at Amsagula, but not living it out of conceit, living it out of responsibility to understand that we have a responsibility, not only to God, but to the Goyim, to elevate this wonderful world that the, that the Goyim are busy making. And the more one is in tune with that, the more that's focused in one's perspective, as a byproduct, the happier you'll be. Nowhere is it written that Yaakov or Yosef were unhappy. With all those trials. Why? Because they understood that those trials were for their benefit and for God's benefit and the world's benefit and the Gorean's benefit. And it's a privilege to be dealing with those trials. So you say, well, why do we daven every day to take them away? Because they heard it. And we say to God, that was good up until now. We've done that job. From now on, take it away. It's not a steer. It's not a, a, a contradiction. Fundamentally, you have to, we, we have to understand that we are different from non-Jews. Not better, not worse. Different job. That job is to bring the light in. Hanukkah is reminding us, but it's not the war we won, which was the Gashmius miracle that we celebrate. It's the light that we attribute to the and every day when you light an extra candle, I'm suggesting to you that you get on board with the perspective that your life is growing. Your life personally, and therefore your ability to influence other people's lives is growing. Okay, ladies, any questions? That was absolutely incredible. Thank you so, so much.